super happy to be joined by Adam Robinson today. Adam, I have wanted to talk to you since the interview that I heard with you at the Y with Tim Ferriss and Josh Waitskin. So it's been a long time of listening to you, and I really appreciate you saying yes to coming on the show. So thank you very much. Well, you're so welcome. I'm looking forward to it. You know, I I guess it, so. This is like an investment focused show, and I, I hope that we can go into other areas. I'll do my my own version of Tim Ferriss's conversational parkour if you're if you're up for it. Yes. But I wanted to start out with your thoughts of looking in areas that make no sense and areas that have been blatantly obvious. That was something that when you said that line, and then you broke it down with Tim. It, it was like one of the, there aren't that many things that I hear that just kind of like reframe how I look at the world. Mm-hmm. And that really was one of those things. So do you mind doing just like a little bit of background on it? And I, if people want to get really deep on it, they can listen to your, your podcast with Tim. But I'd love to hear you riff on it a little bit and then see if some of your thoughts have evolved or where you're seeing that right now and just kind of hear sure. how you're thinking through that. Sure. We all attempt to make sense of the world, Right. And most of the time, the world does make sense to us in investing. We try to, any investment we make, it makes sense to us in our heads, right? We have a model, we have some assumptions, we have, you know, things we expect to happen. And then when they don't happen, when things act counter to our expectations, the standard response is, huh, that doesn't make any sense. Right. Yeah. And you can hear you'll hear it internally. Right. It'd be your self-talk. You'll go, huh, I don't understand. I shorted that stock and it keeps going up. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. You'll never hear someone on the winning side of a trade going, it doesn't make any sense, but I'm making tons (laughs) of money. Yay. It's always someone on the sideline or on the wrong side of a trade. Right. And sometimes the way they'll say it is they'll say, After all, how much higher can interest rates go? In other words, interest rates going high is to them not making any sense, right? And so the key thing is either people stay embedded in their position or they stay on the sidelines because it's not making any sense to them. And in fact, so what I said with Tim was that when something doesn't make sense, really, it's your worldview that's out of line with what you're seeing. On November 6th, 2019, which isn't that long ago, but it seems like forever ago, Ray Dalio, this is pre-COVID, remember, said, he wrote a blog piece entitled, The World Has Gone Mad and the System is Broken, hmm. which is to say the world has gone mad, doesn't make any sense. And you've got two choices when something doesn't make sense. And I'm talking now about an investment trend. Either step aside or get on board it. Don't fight it. Don't be on the opposite side of something that doesn't make sense. Whenever something doesn't make sense, you have two huge edges. The first is everybody else is on the sidelines going, ah, this doesn't make any sense. (laughs) They're fighting it also, right? And I know that when somebody says it doesn't make sense, they may not use those exact same words, right? And when I say someone, uh, a pundit on uh, CNBC, or heck, a Fed chair, I go, oh, we don't understand why this is going on. But then you've got a really powerful trend in place. 
and that trend has a long way to go until it does make sense to all the people on the sidelines. And at that point, the trend may very well be over. By the time it makes sense to everybody, the opportunity largely will have gone. Hmm. So the, the key thing, one of the hardest things in investing is seeing clearly, just seeing clearly. And because we fight, we have confirmation bias, right? And we pick what we think is a good stock or we make a good investment. And again, when we make that decision to buy or to short, whatever it is, it made sense to us when we put it on. And you really need to fight confirmation bias. That's such a powerful narcotic. It just totally blinds you to what's actually going on. And so this is to segue to another, not, we're not off this topic yet, but to introduce another one, because I've introduced confirmation bias, which is probably one of the strongest things bedeviling investors at the very highest level. You know, Munger and Buffett have talked a lot about this. I mean, those are two of the smartest dudes in the world, right? Genius IQs. And they go, we have to fight real hard to think straight about things. It's very, very hard, especially when money is involved. The world is complex enough, but when you're talking money, then all of a sudden your emotions kick in. So what you want to do is create anti-confirmation bias. So as soon as you put on the trade, you have to, at that time, if not before, know precisely what I need to see to tell me, uh-uh, I'm out, Right? So then all you're looking for is signs of that, hmm. right? I'm just looking for signs that something's gone wrong with the trade. Otherwise, the trade is fine. I'm not going to look for more evidence that I'm right, which is what people do. So you have to actively seek anti-confirmation bias. So I know when I make a recommendation to my clients or for myself, I know exactly what I need to see to tell me, I mean, precisely, to tell me uh, we're out of the trade or we're on the other side of it. We're going to reverse and take the other side of it. How long do you typically, like how long are you ad advising on a trading? Are you short-term, mid-term, long-term, just to get a sense of like what you're looking so for and how, how frequently you'd update your priors on that process? That's really good. So it's very hard in the world to get even a multi-month thesis but sometimes you can lock on to a, a multi-year. I mean, until last March 20th, I had my clients in trades that had them in for mm, six, seven, eight years. That just, and when I say my clients, hedge fund guys, that just pow, like motored on, right? So you start with as long a perspective as you can. Now, by the way, I do that because that's the nature of the way I think best, and that's the way my clients invest. You get a long-term trend, and then you might trade tactically around it. But, and this is introducing another thing we'll have to dissect, uh, Buffett and Munger talked a lot about circle of competence. Mm -hmm. And even all the greats know their edge. I say greats, whether in investing or sports or, or chess or whatever it is, got to know really what's your edge. What kind of situations do I do well in? And it may be that someone is just a super great day trader. Mm -hmm. 
that's just their thing. I don't want to think about the long term. I just when I get into a trade, if I if I last a day or two, I'm thrilled. So you need to know where your edge is and what kinds of situations you are optimal in. That's really key. And not to deviate from that. So I can get micro, like in Forex trades, I can look at intraday stuff, but I tend not to. It's more the larger. Here's a way to think about it. The long term is the climate. Hmm, yeah. And the short term is like the weather, right? Like, uh, we got a cold spell. It's the summertime, but it's unseasonably cold right now or whatever. So we got a, a long term uptrend, but we're going to have a multi-week correction here to the downside. So it really depends on the investment horizons of whichever person listening in on this, right? And what's your investment horizon? You really need to anchor on that and not to deviate too much from that, right? If you're a medium term player, then play the medium term. Or if it's a day trader, play that. But be careful about switching your time frames. Mm -hmm. you really throw off your game. That's funny that you say that I was just commenting today that I think that I was reasonably correct on Wells. And when I say think, if I looked at what I wrote and why I wrote what I wrote, I think that the, the thesis from when I wrote it is correct. And I kneecapped myself because I got a little bit cute with a tax issue. And I said today, I said, this is basically like an asset liability mismatch, right? Because I had a medium term thesis and I got cute with it in a 30 day period. And then the sort of vaccine news comes out and then it's higher and then the risk reward doesn't feel as good. And then there's, I was in positions that I thought were slightly better. And I, you know, it's, it's interesting that you say that because that's exactly what I was thinking about today is how I, how I mismatched the original underwriting time frame with the decision in the middle of the time frame and how that cost me. Yeah. Yeah. It's really hard to, it's so hard to think straight in investing. It's, I think, it's the hardest domain, actually, because you're up against the most incentivized, you know, savviest players in the world who are all devoting a lot of brain power to thinking through these things. And then you got to look for an edge within that. And then you got to deal with your own emotions. It's very easy to second guess yourself. Like, was I wrong? Really, you know, the important thing is is to have a thesis and calibrate your risk properly. Like, what's your conviction level? You hear people say, I'm bullish. Well, how bullish, right? Mm -hmm. what's, your, what's your conviction level? And to really be nuanced about that, your conviction level. So my conviction level, at the highest, it's highest conviction, which means, you know, my client's, chop my head off if I'm wrong. Like I'm just, doesn't get any better than this. Down to, you know, leaning high conviction or medium high. And, you know, like it's, it's very nuanced until I wait for things to really line up. And then we go, oh, we're highest conviction. And to stay away from trades that you're at, like, eh. So there, it's very important to know your conviction level. I think the that one other thing that is difficult in investing and thinking clearly is, you know, March 2020 comes 
and you have to be level-headed enough to see through the carnage, right? And to see prices confirming fear. But the job of the investor at that time is to think not what is six months in front of me, it's what's 18 months to 36 months in front of me, right? And to remain calm in the face of that kind of panic, because that kind of panic is where the opportunity actually lies. So to be able to act when that loss aversion and all, all the all the negative emotions are being confirmed by prices, that was wild to live through. And, and it was one of the things that I'm glad that I had read enough about thinking long and how the market discounts 18 months forward, even though in that moment it was looking day to day. Right. But I, I I heard a lot of people when when the market started to go up, to your point, on things that make no sense. Right. The conversation with a lot of people was it doesn't make sense that the market's going up. Right. Because we're shut down the economy. And how can this how could that have been the bottom? And then I think that what also gets convoluted in the brain is, well, I don't agree with these bailouts. Right. And then it's almost like putting political thoughts aside and assessing what yeah. what is actually happening, not what I what I wish was happening. Okay, so let me address both those points. You gotta be careful with the long term because you know it was John Maynard Keynes who said the market can stay irrational a lot longer than you can stay solvent. And if you're dealing with a fifty percent drawdown, but oh, but that's okay, because I'm looking out two or three years. Uh, I don't think you're thinking two or three years when you've lost half your your money, right, on a trade. So there's that. The bear markets are usually, they don't go, they end with selling climaxes like that. They, they end with a parabolic sell-off. They don't start with that. So that was one thing. But to your point, and then I want to get to about the political point, which is an important one. People are saying, oh, yeah, this pandemic's going to shut down the economy, stocks and the, you know, GDP is going to have awful prints, you know, for the next year, whatever, going forward. So I'm going to introduce the notion of first order thinking and second order thinking. So first order thinking is just like it sounds like the immediate like, okay, what's what would everyone think? Like just the pandemic bad economy going to shut down bad. But now you've got to go beyond that. Right. That's most people stop right there. That's the end of their analysis. Right. First of all, that's not a novel insight. Right. Okay. Yeah. Everybody knows that. Right. So if everybody knows that and now all of a sudden stocks are surging higher, what is it that they know that you haven't thought of? Right. Again, that makes no sense. Right. That's where you'd really want to get on board. Yeah. So there's that. You know, I'm reminded uh, back. On August 5th, 2011, Standard Poor's downgraded U.S. government debt for the first time since World War II. That was a big deal. August 5th, 2011. They downgraded U.S. debt. They said, U.S. government, less creditworthy. We're downgrading the debt. Now, the first order thinking would be, oh, well, you should sell bonds then, right? Sell them. But I told my clients, no, buy them. Like hand over fist. I said, they said, uh, makes no sense, Adam. I said, yeah, but just think it through. The second order thinking is if things are so bad in the world that 
U.S. bonds are getting downgraded. It's really bad. Mm -hmm. And so in a, if things are really bad in the world, what's the safest investment? U.S. US bonds. bonds. So That's you wind smart. up buying them, right? So they were downgraded, but it was a buying opportunity. Again, that was the second order and then third order thinking and such. But, you know, you hear so many people, they go, oh, it's really they limit themselves to first order thinking. Like, oh, people are going to stay home. They're not going to be going out as much. So they'll watch more Netflix. So buy Netflix, right? That, that's really first order thinking. And I'm not saying Netflix wasn't a buy. Remember, you and I are not making investment advice. I'm just that's how, correct, to think, yes. right? how to think through this, right? Yep. But if you're going to make an investment decision based on a thesis like that, you got to go to second order thinking. And so, for example, in that case, like people are staying home, they're going to be watching more TV, streaming, whatever. So therefore, Netflix should go up. So if I saw Netflix start selling down with that, it, that would make no sense. I'd have to go, oh, what's mm -hmm. going on here? Remember, you're up against, I said this when I was with Tim, I said, investing, it's like mixed martial arts. It's the gladiatorial pit. Good luck. You're getting in with a bunch of people who are going to eat your lunch. You yeah. know, it's not like you and you're going to make your investment decision. And isn't that sweet? And if things go up, you're going to ride along. Well, there's someone else who's on the other side of the trade. It, it reminds me of Buffett's great saying, if you're in a poker game for 30 minutes and you don't know who the patsy is, you're the patsy. Yeah. You really got to. Again, if, if, if you don't know what your edge is, you're getting taken. You can be lucky. Any number of people can be lucky. But over, over the long haul, you're not going to last on luck alone. Just really not. So one of the squares that I have not been able to circle or circle that I haven't been able to square or whatever I'm supposed to do with those two shapes is, you know, your comment on second order thinking, mm -hmm. it, I accept that. As, as as certainly correct, right? I, I accept that as factual. However, it has seemed as though over the past 12 months, or yeah, I guess we're at March now, that first order thinking has far exceeded second order thinking in a lot of aspects. And I guess that what I'm talking about is almost, you know, I... I had a reasonably good year last year, and I'm really proud of how I had it. And I've had a good for myself coming from where I came from, I'm self-taught the five years that I've been doing this, I would put my record up against a lot of self-taught people and some pros, but I've been outperformed by all of my wife's friends that bought Teladoc and anything that was a stay at home education service and all that. And they don't know anything about valuation. They don't know anything about what most of the businesses do. Their thought was, Everybody's stuck at home by a, a teledoc company. And that has been something that has really been stuck in my side. And I would say it doesn't make sense, but I know that my model of the world just doesn't make sense. It's, okay, it's so, frustrating to me. Yeah. Okay, so good point. So let me, let me resolve that. So they were taking risks that they didn't know they were taking. In the same way that if a professional race car driver challenges a teenager to a race through residential streets, I'll bet you the teenager is going to win <laughs> because the teenager is just going to like floor it, you know, and, <laughs> yeah. and 
And the race car driver is going to be like knowing all the risks and knowing, oh, I got to watch out for strollers and the five-year-olds running into the street. That's true, by the way, over the last decade, a lot of amazingly talented, brilliant hedge fund dudes have underperformed the market because they're seeing risks and they're going, oh, okay, got to like calibrate around that. Can't. Whereas if you're not concerned with risk, <laughs> you expose yourself. And as long as the, the, the sky doesn't fall, you did okay, right? Teenager driving at breakneck speeds is fine till he gets into an accident. Then it's not so good. So that's one thing, right? That you were calibrating around risks that other people were like blind to. So they look like geniuses because the market kept going up. It's the long haul. It's not any given, you know, six month stretch. Yeah, I think I think some of that is definitely correct. I guess that the part that I I still can't quite get my head around is I guess I, I fundamentally what I missed is I missed how much sense it would make that tech a lot of the demand would get pulled forward and this would fundamentally change the world. I think if I had to lay some blame at myself, wait, wait, that's wait. probably some of it. I'm not sure what you mean by that. What do you mean? So I guess that there was forward. I don't know what you're talking. Okay, about. I guess that that I would say that um, over time there there was a perceived, I think, among some tech investors, a perceived inevitability that software and some of these services would eat the world over time, and that 2020 forced companies and people to make uh, decisions that otherwise maybe w would have taken six years got put into one year. Mm -hmm. And that has created like a step function change in valuation because it, it sort of accelerated the adoption curve. Mm -hmm. I, I probably, I didn't see that early enough. That would be what I would fault myself for. But you, you know, nobody sees everything. And you, there are lots of things that you're not going to see. You know, we're always blindsided by this or that. And the key thing is, again, to... Stay in your sandbox, right? To know what your sandbox is, and you do really well, your, your circle of competence. I know I'm mixing metaphors here, but, but to know what you do really well, develop a thesis. And there are lots of things that like, I don't even think about because they're, I got my head occupied enough with dealing with the big macro trends like interest rates, where interest rates going to be, not, you know, people going to adopt this, this new technology or not. But that's because I've circumscribed my circle of competence. I know exactly what I need to think about. And then that's all I think about. You know, it was Mark Twain who said, put all your eggs in one basket and watch that basket, right? Yeah. <laughs> so that's really just limit your thinking to a few things. And otherwise, you're not. And by the way, kudos to you, five-year apprenticeship and now you're probably like uh, like a ma like mastery right you get there I, I don't know about that but i i had good teachers i pray to the altar of buffett and munger and yes don't that, we is, all. that has been helpful yep don't we all i named my third child after warren oh yeah yeah so i hope that he has value <laughs> no no he's warren oh okay i did it because i really respect that you know, I mean, I don't know either of those men, but my perception of both of them is that they've they've gone about their life the right way. I haven't tried to 
demand that he that my son goes down the path that they went down right but i do want that name to mean to him that he should walk to his own drum and i do really hope that he probably would have been named after charlie no disrespect to to warren but my wife preferred warren and i didn't really care which one i got right yeah i want him to feel like he should think for himself and know what he's good at and be comfortable in his own skin, whatever that means, despite, you know, what people may say about it. You know, people, uh, there's a, a word that, uh, crops up in, in pretty much any interview of Buffett for like the last 30, 40 years, doesn't matter. And the word is fun. Hmm. He has a blast doing what he does, you know? And if it were uh, drumming, if he were in a drumming, he would have devoted himself to drumming, right? He just has a blast. And for him, a blast is finding undervalued stocks. I don't want to say undervalued stocks, undervalued companies, right? Because he's really, he's an acquirer of companies. And when he buys a company, he intends to hold it forever, right? If you get a good company, why would you want to let it go? Unless something material changes, right? Or you realize, oh, I was wrong on that. Okay, Acknowledge mistake, move on. So yeah, they have a very disciplined. Everything they do is discipline, you know, and and that's true. By the way, of no matter what the domain, to reach it to the top, you have you have a very disciplined process, right? You have, and you don't deviate, ever, right? Like, mm, oh, there's that movie. They're making a sequel to it, or it's getting released. Uh, Top Gun. Yeah. Right. And so Maverick, right, this whole thing was I'm so great, I don't have to follow any rules. Right. And you remember that. And he was always, no pun intended, flying by the seat of his pants. Right. And only at the end of the movie, when it looked like if there was ever a time when you should deviate from not following your wingman, he goes, I'm not leaving my wingman. Right. And so discipline and process, it's so important. And since this is an investing, really crucial with investing. For example, the discipline of acknowledging a mistake, taking your loss, moving on, right? Just, and the way to, by the way, one thing to reframe around, because people get stuck with their trade, right? They go, uh, I, I, I don't want to sell because I'd be selling at a loss, right? Think opportunity cost. Well, you've got that money tied up in that losing trade. Uh, look at the rest of the market. Look at all your other trades. They're doing great. And you've got, you know, 10% of your capital tied up in this loser. What are you doing that for? So opportunity cost is a really good frame to break free of, you know, when you get overly attached to a position. You can't. Got to be ruthless. I'm going to parkour with you real quick. Uh-oh. You're it, no, it, you bringing up Top Gun, I know that you have an affinity for the Karate Kid. Is that because of discipline? Well, so the Karate Kid, if you think about it, for many reasons, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I tested out your course, so I have a sense of how, mu- how many lessons you've taken from it. So Right, so, so Karate Kid is, you know, notice that to become California state champion at karate, he had four moves. Right. Wax on, wax off, paint the fence, sand the floor. Oh, side to side. And then the crane kicky move. Five. Yeah. Five. And boom, you just work that to death. Right. You just and it gets that segues into my 
you know, what I talked about with Tim about all the greats, they have a hammer, right? They just look around for like, oh, bam, I found another nail, right? That's really their genius is just doing that and doing it ruthlessly. Just, again, knowing what you do best. And then like the Hulk would be very bad at gymnastics, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's outside his circle of competence. <laughs> Crush. <laughs> But, you know, okay, wrestling, he'd probably do pretty well, you know, or shot put. <laughs> By the way, a lot of people don't realize how fast uh, powerlifters are. Huh. Right? In a 40-yard sprint, a powerlifter can probably keep pace with uh, Usain Bolt, like over 40 yards. Like, kaboom, because they're, you know, they're explosive, right, dealing with – anyway. So, Karate Kid, yeah. You don't need mastery of everything. You just need – couple of edges, even one edge, and just play that to death. I forget how you said it to Tim, but I think you said something to the effect of people think that the geniuses look for hammers, but what they really do is they know the hammer that they have and they just look for nails, right? And they're That's like it. looking they for a very hammer. specific nail. I know. I'm really good at this. So, okay, let's find out. Like, I'm going to just apply that, right? And so, and now, by the way, they develop the hammer. It's not any old hammer. It's like Thor's hammer. Like, they don't mess with them. Like, it would be stupid for someone to go up against Buffett in the value space. Like, eh, no. But you could probably outdate trade him, and he'd yeah. be happy. God bless. Go for it, kid. So to really know your strengths and your weaknesses, just to do that, stick to that. Again, that takes discipline. It takes real discipline. It's very easy, you know, you step out, you go, oh, okay, I'm going to be disciplined, but this opportunity to add him, oh, it's too sweet. I can't let it go. And Buffett and Munger have let go any number of things. This will blow your mind. Buffett and Munger have never used uh, leverage, right, in, in, in their acquisitions. They don't. Just right? They grew up in the Depression, right? It's very rigorous. And you remember rule number one for Buffett, never lose money. Rule number two, don't forget rule number one. And so leverage just increases the odds they're going to lose some money. Anyway, get this. Munger said, one day I sat down back of the envelope and calculated what we would have made if we had just applied like little ordinary leverage. He said, we'd be worth 5x what we are today. Hmm. 5x. But they did it right. It's easy to say that in retrospect but they stuck to their discipline. And that's so key. Just like think Maverick and Top Gun, like get your rules, stick with that. Don't deviate. As long as you're sure the system is and your process is, is viable. If you've got a system and it does never seems to work, well, something's wrong with your system. <laughs> you're going to have to adjust. Yeah, that's Re something else that you said. I, I like that a lot. If If you don't like the results you're getting, change what you're doing, right? Don't, don't continue to do what you're doing, expecting a different result if the world yeah, isn't giving and, you the results. And, and it's so, it sounds so self-evident, but we, we double down, right? We try harder. Uh, I'm not doing it hard enough. And no, uh, change what you're doing. Again, that's easier said than done, you know, but you can change any number of things. Like maybe I should switch from day trading to position trading, you know, and just 
Maybe this is not working out for me. Okay. And as you well know, one of the, you know, this is a, a world-class skater, ice skater. Lila Fear asked me, because she had a podcast, she said, she brought up a really interesting apparent dichotomy. She said, Adam, you've said, and I agree, that you can either play to win or play not to lose, right? Mm -hmm. And my, my way is to play to win, but you got to be careful. And I said, because certain domains, so, so I talked, for example, about Bobby Fisher, as you know, one of my mentors back in the day, and he would just always play to win. Like he would just be would not dead draw. He's going to play till the last. He's going to find a way to win, beat you somehow versus playing not to lose. Now, Buffett plays not to lose. Remember, never lose money. So she said, how do you reconcile that? Hmm. And actually, I had to think about that for a second. I said, ah, and this is a key point, is that when Fisher loses a chess game, or did back in the day, or a chess player loses a chess game, that's okay. In next game, you, you still got the same brain, right? You're approaching that. In fact, now you're a little smarter. Like I learned from that loss. When you make a mistake with an investment, your capital base is now lower. You don't have as much to trade. You're smarter and poorer, right? So your capital base just dropped 10%. So you're smarter, but going into the next trade, oh man, I have less capital to work with. So, so that's why it's so important in investing. That's why Buffett's rule is only rule, don't lose money. Because if you... And, and that sounds obvious, right? Like, well, duh, no one's trying to lose money, but they don't trade like that. If your sole goal is not to lose money, it forces you to do certain things, have disciplined processes and systems. And again, you always want to systematize things. You want to have a disciplined system about everything you do and just apply that ruthlessly. Because as soon as you start to lose money, well, uh, that's a big problem, right? So that's why his, that's the resolution is that in the field of investing, when you lose, when you lose, you have less to go forward with, right? So that's a real disadvantage. And most like, you know, and sprinter loses a race. Okay, tomorrow you're still the same sprinter, right? You still got your same speed. All that's the same. In fact, you're now a little wiser. Maybe work on your starting technique or whatever it is. But an investor, oh, that's a big problem because now you're going forward with less capital. Yeah, and I think that's particularly acute with Buffett because his strategy involves taking concentrated bets. So I've done a lot of studying of the strategy behind what David Gardner uses, and, he, and he's more of a growthy investor. And my perception of what he does is he's got – more of a spray approach in the outset and then things grow and his his goal he says i am going to be the last person to ever sell this security so if it goes down to a penny i'm still going to hold it longer than everybody else is holding it but what that also enables him to capture is when amazon goes to the moon for the right reasons he's holding it longer than everybody else yeah there's a problem with that however with respect 
And I'm not saying it doesn't work for him. Okay? I'm not, again, with respect. But again, it, I, I mentioned the question, what would you need to see to tell you you were wrong, wrong about a trade? Like, I'm going to hold it means I can never be proven wrong. I'm just going to hold this forever. Okay. Mm. Well, good luck with that. Like, and I'm not saying it doesn't work for him. Yeah. I'm just saying that the downside also is, remember, you're tying up your capital. You're the, the only one in the world thinking, I had friends who weren't really in the market, but back in the late 90s, and they were shorting Yahoo on the way up to infinity. Going, Adam, look at this. Yahoo doesn't make any sense. Keeps going up. They're not making any money. And, I, and they were shorting the hell out of it. Again, they weren't professionals. They were just like lay people. And I said, why are you doing that? I said, but it's not making any money. It's got to come down. Of course, they were blown out of the water. You know, they started shorting it at 100. I don't know, went to 400, whatever. And then eventually it went back down to, you know, 10 or whatever. And before it started working, it went back up. Just remember, the market could stay irrational a lot longer than you could stay solvent. And the other thing is this. I think this is really another good point. When you're learning from any of the greats, right, you're modeling like, whoa, they, what works for Buffett uh, may not work for you, right? Mm -hmm. Are you prepared to sit out for the next 20 years with this investment? Mm -hmm. You know, and you may say, yes, I am, Adam. Oh, yeah. Wait for the first year or two. And you discover, oh, no, I guess I, I wasn't ready. Yeah. Right. I've recommended you and I follow each other on, on Twitter and stuff. And and I, I recommended Jack Schwager's books. Right. Mm -hmm. The Market Wizards. Yeah, I love those. It's brilliant books. And every investor, Tim kept asking me, Adam, what books would you recommend to everybody? And I'd say, Tim, it really depends. You know, but in, around investing, I know really that all of Ian Schwager's books. I, I said Ian, Jack Schwager. Jack. Yeah. Uh, Ian Schrager's a great hotel investor, right? But uh, yeah, Jack Schrager and the Market Wizard series. Mm -hmm. And also Reminiscences of a Stock Operator. Yes, I was going to ask you. That's that's like one of my favorite investing books. And I guess yeah. it's closer to a trading book, but what a book. But, but both, the thing is, the beauty of the Schrager books, Jack's books, are that you realize all the disparate styles that everybody uses. Each dude is like got a totally different hammer, right? Mm -hmm. And they're doing phenomenally well. But you, I can't play those games and they can't play my game. So the beauty of that is you realize that what works for one person may not work for almost surely not because it's tailored around what they do, right? Mm -hmm. Which brings me back to one of my heroes, as you know, Bruce Lee. And he said, you know, adopt you know, just steal, like take, take what works and add what, what is uniquely yours. And so from that, we hone our own hammer instead of trying to be something that we're not. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Something that I've, I've like really internally struggled with is I do a lot of media now. I mean, I'm, I'm almost, I, I consider myself closer to a media personality than I do an investor. Um, but it, it's been difficult for me to reconcile 
that with sort of the perception of Buffett just reading and, you know, 10Ks all day. And I, I think a lot of that is not true. I think some of that's myth, right? He was still on the phone with his buddies and stuff. But, you know, all of Charlie's warnings about hammer, you know, hammering ideas into your head when you say them out loud. On the other hand, for me, I have gotten an immense amount of benefit out of the network that I built from being very open about my process and who I am and my strengths and weaknesses as a person and an investor that I don't know any other way. And for oh, a long time, let me make sure I understand what you're saying here. You say you've gotten a lot of benefit by being open and talking about, you know, what you do. What do you mean by that? What kind of benefit? But I'm not, I just yeah, want yeah. to clarify. Yeah. No, I understand. And just so you know, this podcast gets involved in life too. So I'm going to go there with you. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> no. Um, so I think that for me, I, I was at a bank. I underwrote commercial loans. The reason that I'm running my own capital was I had an uncle that passed away in a very tragic way. And mm. the money that I was making at the bank, yeah, it was bad. But the, the way... The money that I was making at the bank was not going to change my life in the same way that if I was running a strategy that I didn't believe in and March 2020 came and I sold at the bottom, like that would be my actual downside financial scenario. Mm -hmm. So after about I, I got my CFA designation and I my wife had to listen to me talk about investments for probably five years. she finally she finally said all right you know i'll support you going out and trying this right and like figure out what we're doing you know what to do with our money so Mm -hmm. i started out and i was kind of a guy on an island right and i was trying to figure out the smartest idea i was reading through like chenier is this natural gas exporter i had like the whole diagram of the company on the on my wall and i was going into like all these things that I thought I had to out-research everybody. I thought I had to be the smartest guy in every trade. And what I realized through Twitter was that maybe there was a different way to look at the world that suited my personality and would enable me to do my job. I wasn't very happy doing that, right? Like, I'm pretty extroverted as a person. So I do better when I'm able to brainstorm with people in law school, my first year wasn't great. I checked my dad into hospital. He had a breakdown and I had, so Uh, I had some things going on (laughs) that mm -hmm. sort of diverted my, my attention from law school. But in doing so, I was kind of a man on an Island and between what was going on personally and not having people to really bounce things off of, I was dating my wife, but I wasn't a very good boyfriend. So anyway, you were dating your future wife. That's right. That's right. Yes. Okay. Let's. Yes. I hope you're not still dating your wife. No, no, <laughs> no. We've been married for a while. Yeah. But I, I didn't immerse myself around smarter people, right? And what I've, what I've realized through all of my learning and how I do things is that I have become my peers. And what media has enabled me to do is level up my peer group in a way that I don't think I would have been able to do just sort of being in an office and calling people without knowing them. And I get a lot of benefit, like personally, it makes me happy. And I get people that write me that say, thank you for putting this content out. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the the downside is I do get, I I worry that people don't listen to the fact that this is not investment advice, right? I worry that people are following me into trades. And like now the account, like my Twitter account is big enough that I really do worry about retail, like following me. Mm -hmm. So that's the part that I really don't like about this. 
but I get a lot of positive feedback where people are saying, you know, I'm just trying to figure out what's right for me. And, and I really appreciate you sharing. And that, that gives me like a sense of fulfillment in a way that I have not had in the past. Okay. So let me, the lots you, let me address. You asked. So I told you, no, 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 it's really. (laughs) So first of all, I really want, I really beautiful that you're, cause what you're, you have been on an odyssey, right? An odyssey, a journey to learn about investing. Right. Yes. And and a self-education process, which every investor has to go through, you know, and unfortunately for 95 percent of them, they they lose all their money before they've they passed, you know, investing 101. And so so you've been in an odyssey on self-education around investing. Right. Yes. And if you think about it, someone who decides I want to get into investing. You know, it's a really bewildering process, the whole world. Like, oh, what do I do here? Like uh, so many books to read, right? It's just like, where do I even begin, right? And so so initially, there's a lot of floundering, right? Unless you've got a mentor or something, there's a lot of floundering, right? Mm-hmm. And the key thing is during that floundering process, don't lose all your money. <laughs> don't be making <laughs> yeah. a lot of bets, right? Like, yeah. And then you discover, oh, yeah. I, I Now I'm super smart, but I don't have any capital left. Like, okay. So really, the, the key thing in, in the investor and a and trader, however you want to put it, is surviving the apprenticeship, right? And by surviving, I mean, you got to have capital, right? Like You don't want your education to be so expensive that by the, like, oh, now I know what to do, but I just don't have any capital. Mm-hmm. I wish I had known that at the start. So to really take baby steps... And, and to, to be aware that it's a daunting process. And also what you've done in, in establishing this is because it's a lonely process, right? Like every, mm-hmm. every investor is by himself, right? Or herself, right? I mean, I say dudes, but you know, it's genderless. And so it's essentially a solitary pursuit. And then you have to be careful with groups like, oh, okay, everyone seems to like gold. I'm going to buy gold, right? Yeah. Like don't be a lemming. Right. Mm-hmm. But to be supportive and to share resources and ideas, then ultimately you've got to make your own calls, right? You've got to make your own decisions here, right? A lot of it is, by the way, two traders can have exactly the same ideas, and one of them is really good at risk management, and the other isn't. Well, I don't have to tell you how that's going to end. The, the, they can make exactly the same trades, but the, the person who had good risk management is going to survive and do quite well. The person who overtraded or you know, they're, they're blown out of the water. I think that's really key is surviving the apprenticeship. And for you, you know, I would say most people, hmm, three to five years, you know, really before you've kind of know enough about the, the investing world and yourself, Right. It's a lot of it is self-education. Like, whoa, I thought I could cut my losses, but I can't. Uh, I got to deal with that. Right. So many yeah. emotional things you got to. Again, our two uh, heroes, uh, uh, Charlie and Warren, have written extensively about this, about you need a little IQ to be sure. But self-control is way more important, like discipline, process. That's it needs a certain amount of smarts. And then you just need a, a replicable system. Now, by the way, that's 
if you're choosing to outperform the market, right? It's different from just, I'm just going to stick all my money in an index fund and go back to my, my day job, right? So presumably what we mean by investors here, your audience is people who aspire to to be more active in their investing as opposed to just passive, right? And mm -hmm. again, it's a game very few people succeed at. Very, very, over the long haul, very few. I would say 5% max really can outperform. And those who can do it over decades, a handful of people, like, you know, a few dozen in the world, really. Your Steve Cohen's, your Paul Singer's, your Buffett's, you know, there are a few Druckenmiller, there are a few uh, superstars, Seth Klarman, Howard Marks, but everyone else, you got to survive and, and recognize the odds. So I, I just wanted to acknowledge that your mission and your, your self-education process that you're sharing with everyone, because that's investors, you got to do that. You got to learn to have a supportive ecosystem such as you provide. It's really important in that. Yeah, and I would say it too. It's been reciprocated to me. I mean, I don't, I don't know how much you know about me, but one thing you and I have in common is a family member that committed suicide. So last year, the kid that committed suicide on Robin Hood was my cousin-in-law. So the way that I was able wow. to shed so light on that issue and the reason the family was able to I mean, spread the message. So, I mean, their, you know, their point of view is they don't want this happening to anybody else, right? I, I don't officially speak for them anymore, but that week I, I did. And it was all because I was open on Twitter before, right? It was because I had a community of people that rallied around me when I really needed it. Yeah, this poor kid, just, geez, wow. Margin call. Oh, fuck. I, mm. Yeah. And so really tragic. And I'm so sorry. It doesn't sorry. get much worse. Yeah, no, no. I just really so sorry. But that's, it goes to the heart of why you need a, a supportive system around you. And to know that these are pretty high stakes and, and to, to think, I was going to say to think clearly, but when it's happening to you, it's, it's so hard, right? Because you're like, oh my God, what do I do? And so, um, so yes, I think it's really, even though ultimately, Investing is a, it's a gladiator sport, right? But good to have an ecosystem, right? And even the gladiators train together, right? Yeah. You know, and try to, try to stay alive in the ring. So yeah, share ideas, support, so important. Yeah. And I think too, like if, you know, I, I guess the thing that I just wish, you know, for him, he, his mind just went to a place where you know, I've, I've ruined my family. Right. And there's the only way to help my family is to martyr myself. And I just wish that he had called, you know, I wish that I had called him more often. Right. You go through the things and there's, you don't have the questions to ask the person, the person's not there. No, and there's no, there's, there's almost not a day that goes by that I don't think about, you know, could I have done something different or I wish that he had called. So I'm hopeful that by speaking about it and talking about, you know, some of my dad's struggles and what I've gone through personally, 
that if somebody else out there, uh, Tyrone V. Ross was on an episode of mine, and and he had shared a story that I was somewhat uncomfortable. He's a great guy. He's a great guy. Mm -hmm. He had shared a story that I was somewhat, I I didn't know how I felt about running it. And we were talking offline and he said, look, I'm not concerned about the person that this story offends. I'm concerned about the person that needs to hear this story. And when he said it that way, I was like, man, that that's like so powerful, right? Because it takes the focus, at least what it did to me is it took the focus off of like, what might this do to my product and my audience? How might they be uncomfortable? And it put the focus on the person that needs help to hear it, mm-hmm. right? And like that, at the end of the day, is what it's all about. Yeah. So you know, hopefully, I, I just want to. Sh- so, I just want to tell you, you, there's nothing you could have done, absolutely nothing. In that moment, you weren't aware of what. Like, whoa, this is something that just hit him. Like, ah. And very few young people or even, you know, people twice or three times his age deal with shocks like that, right? Like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? My life is over, right? How can I, you know, the, the, the shame of it, what I, what I do wrong. I, I, and they're so, there's nothing you could have done because that was very fast that, a, you know, his emotions took over. And again, it came, of course, out of the out of the blue. Now, by the way, you know, it was all tragic. Some people put themselves in that position because they've over leveraged themselves or, you know, done something. But that wasn't the case with him. Right. Like, and so, yeah, no, I, I think what I think I mean, this is not like legal. Right. But just you and I talking, I think talking. the thing that that really put him over the edge was he allegedly. I mean, I haven't seen it, but it's in the complaint that he got an email from them that said, you need to come to the table with $170,000 cash. Yeah. So the capital call call. I think is like what really got him just sent into a space where he couldn't think straight anymore. Right. Exactly. Right. That's what I said. A margin call. Oh my God. Margin calls. I don't have anywhere near that money. What what am I going to do? So yeah, I didn't think that I was trading that kind of exposure. Now I owe this, like how, what in the world? I'm not going to say anything because I, because I, I don't, because it's an ongoing, you know, issue, like a law issue yeah. and stuff. And yeah. But I'm fully on your side on this, right? That was a foreseeable consequence, right? You you tell someone, oh, you, margin call, like how the heck did he, was he allowed to get exposed like that, right? That certain safeguards, right? Yeah. Right, that should have been in place, uh, hopefully will be put in place. But to realize there will... You know, you can get shocks like this, right? You could just, I tweeted, because you, as you know, I, I never give investment advice, but I kind of tweeted just very carefully to the, the Reddit boys, hey, you know, be careful. You guys haven't dealt with a stock gapping down 30%. You know, you wake up one morning and, oh, it blew through my sell stop. I thought it was a 2% loss. Oh, no, you can't get out. It's a limit down. Like, oh, fuck. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> it's, I mean, that is the oh, feeling. Gosh, that's gosh. an that's a, no people. I we curse here. It's okay. Okay, good. So uh, bleep 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 bleep. Uh, I, I prefer authenticity to uh, so to there. all else. So so you know you get those shocks, and so it's again, it's all part of the learning process. You know, is the Argentine? Oh shoot, I'm forgetting his name. Some say the greatest Formula One driver of all time. I'm just his name is. 
blank, Argentine guy in the 50s. He said no one was ever better. Just blank on his name. Anyway, he said- I should know this. To finish first, you must first finish. <laughs> like, you got to finish the right, like, whoa. And another- yeah, Especially back then in that sport. Right. And another racing icon, Mario Andretti, said that his father gave him the following advice. Win a race as slowly as you can. Hmm. Right. Don't take any, you don't have to grandstand, just win it as slowly as you can. Hmm. Right. A lot of it, you know, it comes back to emotional control. Bruce Lee famously said, one of the most important lessons in life, certainly in investing, is the ability, sorry, is to master the ability to remain calm. I don't mean calm in the face of like panic. I mean calm in the face of I'm, I just doubled my money overnight. Yeah. Like calm, always calm. Again, the beauty of what he said is you have to master that. It's not like something, I'll just be, you know, I'll just resolve to be calm. No, you gotta, you gotta work at it every day. And one way to like to keep your emotions kind of in check is again, to have a system especially when things go chaotic, I'm just gonna stick to my system. So I'm, I'm, I'm really profoundly sorry that that, that uh, was hit so close. When I, when I heard about it, and I just, just as a, someone in the investing community, I, I just, wow. Yeah, I, I can only imagine. And, and, but many lessons to be learned from everyone. And I'm sure that uh, safeguards will be put in place, you know, and, and really should be, um, I don't want to comment because I know it's legal. Yeah, stuff, no, I understand. I, I understand what I'm you're saying. On, I think on your side, like on this one. Whoa. Well, I I appreciate it. I think the moral stance is objectively true, right? The legal thing is is sort of their own. I'm I'm not a party to the case, and yeah, you know, don't don't have standing to even be one, right? But it's one of those situations that had I seen it to anybody else's family, I would have been equally as offended. It just happened to land directly on my doorstep. Yeah. I guess the hardest thing about it now is, you know, I talked to his dad and like I was, I was a lot closer to his dad than I was Alex because Alex would be the kid that like we would go to Thanksgiving and I would, I would sort of tell him, can you look after my kids? You know, my kids like thought he was a hero and he'd, he'd be like playing with them all the time yeah. and I would be able to hang out with his dad. And now it's just hard. It, it's not, I, I don't want to say it's hard to have a conversation because that's not a fair comment, but it's always like this feels like a lingering issue right and it's like how do you my grandma has buried two children and it's Mm. like life's just never the same you know and there's there's no conversation that can be had that doesn't have that overhanging it so right and it it will always overhang and yet from that kind of like a an oyster creates a pearl around a an irritation right piece of sand it covers over and 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 hmm. so the years will will create something, but also I'm sure they'll set up a foundation. You know, this will be a mission. This is not going to happen again. You know, it's really- yeah. That pearl thing was very nice. That was a very nice illustration of what you were trying to say. I like that. Yeah, because that's that's what goes on. It never goes away. It never yeah. goes, it won't won't for him. But they'll remember fondly, like you remember his Alex. You know, take kids and goofing around with him and stuff and. Oh, shoot, I'm forgetting the guy's names. You know, it was Tuesdays with Maury, that, uh, forgetting the author's name. But he said, 
He said, death ends a, a life. It doesn't end a relationship. Right. Mm. And so, yeah. so that's nice. It's more than that. It's just truth. Right. It's, yeah. it's the reality here. And so who Alex was, was clearly someone that kids loved. Right. And, and he, he had his life in front of him and this thing hit him. So in the process of addressing that, other lives will be saved, you know, and we try to extract what meaning we can as best we can. Yeah. Life is tough and yet it's full of joy. In the same way that you smiled and said, you know, he would watch my kids and Yeah. No, it's happy. nice, Matt. He was a good soul. Of course he was. I'm sure he snuck some candy was... and <laughs> right. Like, okay, we're gonna get let's get away with things, you know? And, yeah. and so right, a beautiful soul. So anyway. This goes to the heart of your mission and other investors and traders. This is such a hard, really, I said it before, there's nothing harder than investing because you're putting it all on the line and it's, it requires mastery of, of your mind and the world and your emotions. It's, whoa, and, and so much is in play, always. You said before, this is really about life, you know, and that's what investing is about. It's about life. That's it's all it is. You know, you can everything that Buffett and Munger ever said, or any of the greats in investing, can be said about life, right? Because there you're investing your years, right? Not your capital, and that's the uh, it's a limited resource, right? Your years. So yes, everything that can be said about investing is is can be said about life. To segue a little bit, you had written a book, Winning the Great Game, right? And so, well, an invitation to the Great Game. And it, so, okay, my apologies, my apologies. Yeah, no, 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 it's not, it's not, it's not. I got to release it. I I wrote that four years ago, and I I got to get it out. And I will. I, I I really promise I'll release it this year. I'll, t I'll tell you why I didn't. Okay. Is I I wrote it in a week, right? A full book in a week. I just sat down ten days, actually, not a week. 10 days, forgive me, 10 days to write a book. And then, <laughs> and then, um, and I've sat on it for four years and I really, I wrote it uh, and uh, it's a beautiful book, but I realized that I, I left out some things that I could have put in, like some deeper philosophical things. And so I thought, oh, should I include them? And I just decided about a month ago and I just didn't have the time to do that. So I got, I got to come back to this. I'm not going to include it. I've decided I'm not going to because it's a beautiful story just in and of itself. So I'm just going like, to get it out there. And as you know, I wrote a book called How Not to Be Stupid that Buffett endorsed. I've been sitting on that for two years because I have to rewrite that also. So we'll get into how not to be stupid. There's so many topics here and stuff. And so anyway, but you brought up the great game. So so what? Yes. What? Um, well, it, it just, uh, it seemed to me that the premise behind that, the I mean, I've only heard about it through what you talked to Shane about, right? But you yeah. thought that society was at a, a little bit of a breaking point, and this was in 2018. And I think wow. that a common thread of what I think, you know, it, it's been interesting to listen to you over the years, because it seems to me that the event at the Y you came out with the three principles, right? And yeah. delight everybody, right? Yeah. And then 
it sounds like maybe you ruminated on that for well, call it a year or whatever. No, then, no, no. I wrote that book right oh, after. Oh, right after. Yeah. Sure enough. Yeah, yeah. In between that one and the other podcast I did with Tim, right? And so the second podcast I did with Tim, this is a little over four years ago, right? And I, I said, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm going to see uh, Warren because they were releasing the movie at HBO. You know, there was a premiere at uh, yeah. Roma. So I, I went there with the premiere and stuff. And, and I, I said, oh, yeah, yeah I'm going to give Warren a book at the, you know, and I hadn't even started it. So I had 10 days to write it. So I wrote it in 10 days. That's that's a fair amount of stress. I know. Exactly. <laughs> it's a way to put yourself behind the eight ball, right? And um, is that publicly say you're going to give someone something and then, and then uh-oh, I'm going to be held accountable. You know, the great game, So, which brings me to the world, right? State of the world. And as investors, it's really important you understand this. So the entire world, to really understand it, the modern world was never sustainable. I don't mean in an eco way. So we go back to 1945, was that 75 years ago, 76 years ago, right? And the world had to rebuild out of the devastation of World War II and uh, the Great Depression, right? Horrific. People are moaning about one year coronavirus. Imagine going through from, that was like, six or seven years of, and in fact, the depression started before that, right? That was 29, right? Imagine going through from 29 to 45, right? And 10 years of economic depression and oh, now we got a world war, right? So the modern world, this is going to like, beyond 100,000 feet, right? This is to really understand what's actually going on in the world, everything. It's that the world is not viable, hasn't been for 75 years. So that to rebuild out of World War II, it was rebuilt out of the American dream, right? The GIs coming back, world rebuilding, and America was like the least, it wasn't done here. Like we didn't have to deal with any of that. We didn't have our factories blown to hell. and Anyway, so the American dream was, I want what mom and dad had. I just want more of it. Hmm. And I'm willing to go into debt to get that, right? If they had, if they had a, an apartment, I want a home. Right? If they had a small home, I want a bigger home. In fact, I want two homes. I want, I want two of everything. And I'm willing to borrow to do it. And so the American dream was born. And it's one we exported to the rest of the world which is, if I have enough stuff, I'll be okay. And we lost touch with family values. And we lost touch with, with the interconnectedness, you know, the joys of, you know, like, oh, if I have enough stuff, I'll be okay. And it made sense for the world because we had to, like, resurrect the world, right? But we kept piling up the debt. And debt works if you can grow your way out of it. So... A um, business owner takes on debt because he or she expects to expand the business. You better, because otherwise you got to service the debt. That's going to... So we kept piling up debt as individuals, as corporations, as nations, right? We kept piling up the debt. 
that's okay because we're going to keep growing. And at growth at all costs. And so growth comes from two primary sources, population growth or consumption growth. Right? It's really, so debt, so again, the whole model of the, the whole modern world, everything has been built on, we got to keep growing because we pile up all this debt on the assumption that we would keep growing. And it never occurred to anyone to think, well, what happens if we don't? So I'm going to recommend, I'm going to, there's a, a blog called Economica, Economica, E-C-O-N, Economica. I forget the economist's name. I think it's Hamilton or anyway, brilliant, brilliant dude, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. And his specialty is, is demographics. And he talks about a global population collapse. And he's got all the numbers. When you look at the numbers, you go, oh man, we are in trouble. And so in the United States, in every country in Europe, Australia, Canada, Japan, yeah, essentially, I hate this word, but the developed world, shrinking. More people died than are being born. That's a problem, remember because we piled up this debt, assuming we we're gonna keep growing. And it didn't occur. Anyone, if you think about people, and you have a beautiful wife and you, you're a family man, but you look at people who are just like, just, just a little younger than you, how many are rushing to get married? Those who don't yet have kids and aren't yet married, how many are rushing to have kids, get married and buy a home? Not many. So we've got this, and this, this, Guy traces it, uh, the, a global economic collapse. That's his words. And he's got the numbers to prove it. And just to show you how serious this is, China, as you know, had that one child, one, one family, one child policy, which is very short-sighted, you know, not a good idea, not smart. And because what it left them with 40 years, 50 years later, is too many young people to support too many old people plus a surplus of guys. I forget the exact stat, but it's something like roughly 11 guys for every nine, 11, 11 single guys for every nine women. Oh, that's a musical chairs thing. That's not gonna work out. Yeah, it's a competitive environment. Yes, and the China recognizing the, the short-sightedness of that policy I, I see why it thought they thought it made sense back, you know, when they were, but then, oh no, not a good idea. Anyway, they have been jawboning their young people, get married, have kids, right? It's your, it's your tax incentives, everything. And despite all that, China had its lowest birth rate in modern times last year. Hmm. That's despite like, oh my God, we got to get kids. We got to, Get the hmm. back online, and so so essentially the world doesn't work, right? That's that's the starting thing. We've piled up a massive amount of debt, so periodically we have these crises, and the only way that that the central bankers have been able to go is well, we just pile up more debt, and we just gotta we gotta gotta keep this thing going. They don't recognize that the game is over. I don't mean like the great game, like we were talking about, but that the yeah. 
the engine of growth, oh no, it's reversed. It's actually going the other way. And the demographics are written in stone. We can't change this for about 20, 30 years. Like this is, that's written in stone, right? So we know how many people are going to be born. You know, how many people are alive, how many, you know, women are childbearing age, you know, we, some rough little assumptions. We know what, ooh, we're going to be shrinking for quite a while. The only areas of growth in the world right now are um, population growth, are um, Africa, the Middle East, really. And all other, all other areas are shrinking big time. And even though Africa and the Middle East, they're still growing, they're, the second derivative of that growth rate is slowing down. It's not negative yet, but it's slowing down. And I think this the Hamilton dude, economic guy, um, I think he said by like another 10 years, that'll go negative also. Hmm. So really what we've got is a world that awash in debt and people are also reaching the end like, oh, I, I don't know if I really, you know, what the pandemic has taught us is I don't need, if, I don't know, I don't need two of everything. In fact, I don't even need half my clothes. Yeah. You know, I mostly, certainly not of life's this way. Yeah. <laughs> I need about two outfits. Exactly right. <laughs> exactly right. Two outfits. And I'll just wash those to death. Right. And the problem is that we still got the debt. Like we can get by with a lot less, but oh, wait a second, the whole modern economy, everything in the world is predicated on continued growth. We've got this embedded obligation. If we don't grow, oh man, we're in trouble because we still got the debt. So we're not going to return back to normal. Because even normal was never sustainable, really. So we, we have some hard choices to make. That's the backdrop. Like that's the mega climate, right? Is, is we're dealing with a 20 to 30 year shrinking population. And demographics is destiny, right? You can't, can't get away from that. It's not a matter of like encouraging young people to have children. Like, okay, uh, they will or they won't. But even if they decide to get married today, it's going to be 15 or 20 years before that pays off, really. Now, in, that, in such a world, the investment opportunities are incredible, right? In the, in the worst of times. And by the way, it could be the best of times, but we have some real tough choices to make, right? Navigating here as a country and as a, as a world really got to get our act together. I mean, as a world, as a species, right? So within such turmoil, there are incredible investment opportunities and different ways of, of playing that either as, you know, investment opportunities as, as traders, investors, and, and also their venture capital, entrepreneurial opportunities. Really, there are always opportunities, always, always, always. But that's the backdrop in the world. You know, I, I said this on another interview. It's really another podcast. It's really a spiritual crisis, actually, is what's going on in the world. And all the economic problems at root are a spiritual one. And we kept thinking if we just have enough stuff, enough Instagram mm -hmm. likes, or if I make enough money, then I'll be okay. And that's a big problem. You know, we need to kind of come to grips with. And, but also, these are, perilous times in the world because we've got all this debt, a lot of problems, even within the United States, a lot of anger from everyone, 
You know, it does. I don't care. Anger on so many sides, and that's not really constructive. Obviously, I understand the source of the anger. Who uh, Benjamin Franklin said, um, "Anger is rarely without reason, but seldom a good one." Hmm. There's always a reason to be angry, but you know, ultimately, it just cost yourself, right? It's a time for all of us to. We either come together or we don't, and then that's not good. So, and it's not, I'm not talking kumbaya like unity. We've got to decide what it is as a country we care about and what are the values. And we come back to first principles, really. Yeah, I think what's what hurts the common principles too is the polarization of the country, which I think there's a direct overlay to when social media became fairly prevalent in everybody's lives, right? So, yeah, I don't know. So, we haven't done this, you and I. You know, I'm going to invite everyone to do the Google experiment with me. So if you go to Google right now, you, you can do it on your laptop or your phone. So anyone listening can do this. And you go to Google, got to be the search bar. And type in. So one day, it's like about a year and a half ago, I, I was curious, what did people, what did people want to learn how to do? So I went to Google. And I want to see what it auto-filled. So I type in, how can I learn to? So do that. How can I learn right. to? And don't let people kind of do it on their own. And you're going to see one thing that's going to pop out at you that's going to just blow your mind. That's crazy. It's the first thing. Yeah. Yeah. Don't tell anyone yet. Tell them what number two is, like how to learn how to sing, right? Or sing. Something. That's exactly right. Sing, yeah, yeah. speak Spanish, trust again, draw a code, drive, Even, play whoa, chess. Whoa, 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 whoa. Go back to trust again. Look at that. Yeah, that's deep. Yeah, that's, that's already very scary. How can I learn to trust again? But it's number one. It really blows everyone's mind. Yeah, so how, I, to, how can I learn to love myself? That is incredible. The number one thing. The number one thing people want to learn how to do. And they go to Google for like, imagine. Now, mind you, someone who asks. How lonely that, must that be, right? That you're asking Google. Exactly right. You'd be too ashamed. Yeah. To tell your best friend, how can I learn to love myself? Because you'd be ashamed. And I'll tell you, so I was so shocked by this. You know, I sent this over to Tim. I said, Tim, do this. And he went, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> he said, is that just me? By the way, at first I thought when I first stumbled on that. Yeah, what's wrong with me? Why does Google oh, serve oh, me man, this? Google's like, oh, big, big, big L, right? Like, <laughs> and what must Google think of me? So I... I told a bunch of friends, I t I, 10 friends, I texted. I said, could you just type this into Google? And each one of them, one by one, said, what the fuck? What? <laughs> yeah. Adam, what? what? And so, so then I typed in, because you mentioned social media. This is very, I was curious, not, I was heartbroken. And then I wanted, was concerned about the feeling state. So then I typed in, why do I feel so? So type that in, why do I feel so? Don't hit enter. Just why do I feel so? And I know what the number one response is, tired. Mm -hmm. Yeah, tired is a euphemism for depression. Yeah. Right? If you look through the top 10 fills, half of them are going to be energy related. Right? Why am I yeah. tired? Why am I tired all the time? Why don't I have any energy? You know, like it's Loaded, all- Loaded, alone, nauseous, weak, empty. 
One one suggestion is hot. You think they mean like sexy hot, or you think no. they mean like temperature? No, no I, so there's, you'll notice that a lot of them are a few of them are related to eating disorders. Yeah, and 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 there's so much self hatred going on here because someone who says, "How can I learn to love myself?" It's not like a self-improvement. Like, I really like myself, but how can I learn to love myself? No, it's you hate yourself. I shouldn't laugh. I just, the delivery of what you said is what's yeah. cracking me up. Right? Yeah, of course. And it's, no, and it, it, you and I are, you know, I'm, I'm making light of something that's really tragic. And so if you ignore the, the eating disorder things, basically, the, why do I feel so depressed? Right? That's the tired, all those permutations lost and empty empty is the worst like that's existential like whoa uh -huh. now type in hmm, why is everyone else so oh boy yeah type that one in now ignore the first one um but you'll see it it has to do with eating but look at all the rest of them hmm. why is everyone else perfect happy skinny pretty in a relationship so you've got People who are suffering crushing depression, loneliness, and a sense of isolation and, and just lost. And when they look out at the world, they think everyone else is having the time of their lives. Right? This is all social media. Yeah. One of the really, if 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 someone wanted to create, you know, an engine to create evil, like that's like, wow, we're just gonna twist everybody. We're going to isolate them, make them hate themselves, and think everyone else is having the time of their lives. This is, you know, and imagine your, your which only amplifies your your sense of you're such a loser. Look at everyone else; they're doing great, but everyone's feeling the same thing. Which goes back to the tragic story that you know you shared, and but it, it plays out in so many countless ways. You know, you've got to. Do you yeah. think psychologically that some of this has to do with a little bit of, I mean, I got the thought from Tony Robbins. It's not mm -hmm. totally unique, right? But that, you know, if you're opening up, if you're walking by a newspaper and you see something that's scary, that's going to grasp your attention. Is there something in humans that draws us to things that make us feel bad about oh, ourselves? Okay. So I'm going to tell you it's worse than that. So it's the internet itself. So remember, the internet is designed to hijack your attention, really to hijack it. We're going to, and we're going to, we're going to rivet you here and get you to click on things. Well, how do you get to click people to click on things? Anger's a really good one. Yeah. Right? Just like, ah, mm, like I'm going to read that story, right? Or that confirms your current view of things. Like, I knew it. Those guys are jerks or whatever it is, or like I'm, and, and so it's this internet is designed, designed, mind you, I, I don't mean the internet, but the technologies on the internet, the social things that it's designed to capture your, hijack your attention and it, it manipulates you, right? It, it creates, you know, it's this massive confirmation bub, like confirmation bias, right? which as investors we know to like watch out for, that's all the internet does. It discovers what you're interested in 
or what you think about the world, and then it'll just reflect it back to you. Yeah. I was in um, Dubai a few Thanksgivings ago in the Formula One race, <clears throat> to go back to racing and stuff. And, and I, I met uh, someone from New Zealand there. And I didn't know anyone in, from New Zealand. And uh, we exchanged you know, business cards. Not 15 minutes later on my phone, I started getting invitations from New Zealand Air or whatever, booking flights like it already knew. Like, oh my gosh, Adams never doesn't know anyone from here. And he just met. So boom, let's just give him these flight things. He probably wants to go to New Zealand. Yeah, that's pretty scary. <laughs> it's very scary. But of course, it go, we all know that that's what goes on. Yeah. And so... It's just a very tangible example, right? Right. And we see it all. It really, if you really want to get scary, do this. Talk about something with a friend. This is going to freak people out. Over dinner, both of you, leave your phones on and talk about something you've never, like peacocks or, or <laughs> something random. Start getting served uh, ads for Peacock fan groups. Exactly right. I'm telling you, it's really freaky. And you go, yeah. oh my gosh, they got the voice recognition. It's not like they've targeted you. Don't worry. It's not. It's just algorithms, right? But so our perception of the world is distorted by the internet massively. We don't have come close to an understanding of it. Not even close. Any one of us, really. And so... We're all kind of flying blind, which is why Buffett is, you know, isolated himself in Omaha, right? And it's a nice town. And it just, you got to stay away from media and things. Now, again, there's a difference between the kind of information sharing that can go on in, in, in a healthy, you know, like a, a ecosystem around, you know, sharing of ideas, investment ideas and such. But you got to be careful. It's part human nature, but it's that the internet just exploits all those worst aspects of us, right? And, yeah, and, and then it, 2020 is lighter fluid on that, right? When everybody's stuck at home. I mean, my mom, for instance, is alone, right? And, and she has called me a, a reasonable amount of times more depressed than normal, right? I shouldn't say more depressed than normal because she, she's found happiness over the last couple of years, but Good. I'm glad. 2020 has been really difficult on her. And I think part of the reason is there's no one to talk to, there's nowhere to go to, or there hasn't been now that things are opening, maybe that's changing, right? So I think she gets on Instagram and then it's like, why is everybody oh. else's life so great? And I know, mine but isn't see, good. that's like, oh no, that like... So to which, which I tell her, mom, I promise the one picture that you see of the three kids smiling is representative of that one second of the day. Yes. We didn't post the other 23 hours. It <laughs> totally sucked. Yeah. I mean, I, I shouldn't say that, but it is, yeah. there is some truth to that, right? So it's such a distortion, right? We don't present to the world all our flaws and things, right? And uh, we try to put the best face on things, you know, like I'm going to shave before this. I'm not going to show up totally. I'm going to comb my hair, but but I'll, I'll make certain. Well, I could have shaved. So I, <laughs> I didn't know how you, I didn't feel great when you use that. Uh -huh. My apologies. <laughs> uh, no, I, you look totally clean shaven. I wouldn't know anyway. So, but that's, that's the world we're in, which brings us back to the great game. Right. Yeah. And, and that really, it was about mm, four years ago that I had this revelation about people. 
I mean, it's like I discovered them, like, whoa, because I'd always been an introvert my whole life, right? And succeeded because of my ideas, right? A thinker. And then I had an epiphany. I don't even know it wasn't for any particular reason. And I just went, wow, there are people in this world. I could have a lot of fun. And then I set about just to having fun and went about it with the same zeal that I would attack ideas. But now, oh, let's have fun with people. And if you think about it, really the key to life are others. And the key to succeeding is enrolling others, right? Is to have a positive, compelling view of the future, vision of the future. I say a vision, like where, where you can paint with pictures. This is what I want to do. And other people, whether it's an individual in the case of a marriage, or investors go, yeah, I want a piece of that vision. I want a piece of, I want in on that. With your mom, the thing is to be engaged with others and not observe them via Instagram because, that, oh, that's, ooh, you're just going to feel more isolated, right? But really be mm -hmm. engaged. I had listened to you say that, and one of the things that I wrote down when I've heard you speak about this, I, I said, you know, what is this podcast? Because I've been trying to figure out what do I want to do with the podcast? Do I want like a business out of this and whatnot? And what I really figured out is I am at my happiest when you and I are roughly 40 minutes into a conversation because I think that's when conversations really get flowing until the conversation ends. When I am like truly focused on what you're saying and we're connecting as humans, that's when I'm at my happiest. When I start to think about like, well, you know, what are the numbers of the podcast doing? Or should I be focusing on ads down the road? Or why should I be doing this? Like the, the funny thing about all of those questions is much of that is actually like insecurity driven, right? I have this incredible thing that I'm building that people are enjoying a lot. And is doing way better than I ever thought would, right? But there's an insecurity part of me, and I think some of it comes from the fact that I inherited what I have, that like I'm not worthy of it, right? That I feel like, well, if I can just turn on a revenue machine here, then like no one can take that from me. And mm -hmm. ironically, I think that thought, which comes from insecurity, could cause me to ruin what I'm building that I love that's great. So okay. I have just said, like, screw all that insecurity stuff. I'm going to just have fun with this and, and work on there delighting guests. Right. right. So exactly right. That's the great game, right? That's what you do. You just, so you focus, so you mentioned insecurity. Michael Jordan once said that he never once in his whole life, his career, thought about missing a shot. Never once. Never even occurred to him. Why? because his attention was solely focused on what he had to do to make the shot. Mm -hmm. And once the ball left his fingertips, eh, it's out of his hands now, literally <laughs> out of his hands. And it'll either go in or it won't. That point, it's outside his, right? And so your attention should only be on one of two places. It should either be on the task at hand or the person in front of you, right? If you're with others, like right now, my attention is totally on you and the conversation we're having. So I'm not thinking, oh, you know, did I, you know, is there food between my teeth? Is that, what's he think of me? Did I like, what's going on? Because my attention is totally on, on you and the conversation. And so there's no room for insecurity. 
there's no room for confidence either. Like it's, it's just, you should be so immersed in what you're doing that, that you just takes over just the joy of it. And then from that, you'll create magic and incredible things. And then you'll create that success, but it's not going to happen if you're like worried about it, right? Because then your attention is, is elsewhere. So again, insecurity or, or any negative emotion, you're just like, oh, self-doubt, whatever. Really, all those negative emotions always involve yourself. <laughs> yeah. So the yeah, focus on me is where all my bad decisions in life have ever come from. There you go. And of course, you want to think about yourself. Mm-hmm. Like I'm saying, you'd be, of course, you got to think about yourself, but to succeed in life, you really, it's all about connecting with others. And, and even your own, the well-being of an individual comes from getting outside yourself. The word ecstasy literally means to be outside of yourself. Hmm. The word enthusiasm comes from the ancient Greek, meaning to be filled with God, to just, right, you just caught up in in whatever it is you're doing and again if i'm alone my attention is totally on the task at hand by the way the task it might be just like i'm just goofing like i'm just reading a book or you know daydreaming but yeah but it's enjoying the moment that you have whatever that moment is whatever that moment is and as soon as someone's in my presence my attention is totally on them or they don't deserve to be in my presence. I don't mean deserve to be in my presence. Otherwise, I shouldn't yeah. be in their presence, right? I should be, if I want to be introverted, oh, okay, be introverted. Go back home, Adam. And there are times when I do want to go back home. But if I'm always, if someone's in my environment, doesn't matter who it is, I, they will have my full attention. Always. If I get into an elevator with a stranger, well, they got my full attention. Because I also know that that's where magic is. And that's, you know, it's, it's just fun. Better way to be. Hmm. I I was driving yesterday. Uh, you're just like triggering this thought, and and mm. the music was off, and my kid was talking to me, and I realized that I hadn't been present as a dad in long enough. Right? It it had been something where if he walked into the kitchen in the morning, maybe I was, you know, messing around on Twitter or some garbage like that. Right? Mm-hmm. And he was saying things that like he was struggling in school and it was something that I didn't even realize was going on. And I think he's been trying to tell me for a while and it's, it was a lack of presence. And we had, we've had like a couple moments over the last two weeks where I've, I've been like, wow, I've got this really beautiful child here that I probably have underserved my attention to. And, and that's a shows what a great dad you are to realize that you haven't been a great dad. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Well, maybe, maybe (laughs) I'm just teasing you both. And, and that's really beautiful though, to acknowledge like, Oh, you know, I got this son. I shoot. I remember golly, it was, um, 20, it was father's day day before father's day, two years ago. So it was Saturday morning, tomorrow's Sunday, right? You know, and I saw a dad at a restaurant with his uh, young son. Must have been six, two of them. And I thought, oh, that's so sweet. You know, dad out, you know, mom's probably sleeping late on Saturday morning. And both of them had their, their, I'm not kidding you, their phones. Neither of them was interacting with, like there was just no interaction. Each of them, literally their cell phones were a few inches away from their noses. 
heck, if I walked by that table, I would have had more inter- I, I would have engaged the kid. He was a cute kid. I would have said, hey, and I said something silly and got him to laugh because that would have been fun for me, you know? Yeah. And you're such a good dad to realize that, oh, yeah, I got, mm, I got a beautiful son here. I got to give him more attention here. And, and well, I got to uh, change what I do and then I can be a good dad. But I, I will say at least I was present enough to recognize. Yeah, no, it's just, it's just a, you know, and, and the thing is, People say, Adam, how do you remember? How are you always so positive? How you, is that because I know that's where the that's where the joy is. Of course, my attention is going to be on other people because I know that's where I have fun. So it's not like I have to. There's nothing calculated about it. Right. It just I know that's that's where the fun is. <laughs> and I'm I'm very much just in search of fun. So is Buffett. Right? Remember, it goes back to fun. You look at anyone. Yeah. Uh, Stevie Cohen with his Mets and his art and everything like, oh, he's just having a blast. I don't care who it is at the top of their game. They're having fun. And sure, a lot of hard work to get there. But it's, it's a, ultimately, you got to be having a blast. Otherwise, do something else. Yeah, well, you only get one life, right? Maybe. Yeah, no, maybe. maybe <laughs> it depends right? on... Uh, you know, yeah. maybe, maybe not. But certainly... We have to live it like that. Yeah, it's a reasonable assumption to maximize reasonable, joy. Exactly right. In this realm, right? Yes, indeed. So in this realm, we got one shot at it. You know, ultimately what it comes back to is, you know, people always want like how-to books. Like how do I do something, right? Like little technique things. It's really just a question of embodying who do you want to be? How do you want to be in the world? And then everything flows from that instead of what do I want to do? Like, who do you want to be? And then a lot of things will flow from that. I think it's really much simpler life. Ultimately, as you get older, you realize more and more, wow, it's really so simple. (laughs) But you had to go through years to realize, oh, it actually is pretty damn simple. Like have fun, engage others, stick to what you're good at. Right. I mean, it's really a few principles, really. You don't. And we're in it together. Right. It doesn't even when you're investing and trading and everything, you got to be connected to a larger purpose. See, you've gone through those questions, which is really beautiful. A lot of people like, who am I in the world? Right. And so you've been on a personal odyssey and you're sharing it with others. And that's really very beautiful and good. And and that's really great. And everyone should do that. Connect to a mission. So there's, you can't have any insecurities because I'm doing this a bigger thing. I'll tell you something. If there's a building burning, a fireman doesn't have any insecurities. (laughs) Like, oh my God, I got to get those people out. There's no, there's no room for insecurity. Oh, I wonder if I'm a good enough fireman. (laughs) You know, <laughs> right? It's no, it's like, okay, you got to get the ladder up there. And that, that, that cat on the fifth floor, got to get her down, right? And so, yeah. And in doing that, in shifting your attention to others, like the pain, loss of the, the, the parents of your, is Alex, was that his name? Alex? Yeah, yeah. Alex. I'm not going to say it was his name. Alex is his name, Alex. They'll find others. They'll reach out. And so it's all about connecting with others. This is such a life is full of pains and joys. 
right? And either way, you got to be connecting to others. And that's the secret to self-happiness, the secret to success. I don't care what you're doing. And you can, you can get away with things for a while and you could be a jerk and succeed in some, some level. But ultimately, you're not happy and you're not doing yourself any good or the world any good. So everything you're saying and the, the journey and investing and you said this is about life. We're going yeah, yeah, sure is. If it's done right, everything should be about life. Yeah, I, th I think one of the things that was beautiful that came out of Alex's family being willing to go public with the story was they got a ton of letters from people like, I mean, hundreds and hundreds from people that, you know, were saying how he did something that was nice in their day like that they remembered that he oh it's beyond went nice. out of his way to do something right and wait, it's wait. like he saved lives there so I'm, I'm getting you know teary here they saved lives by doing that right and it's that's way more than nice right it really it saved lives they have to anchor on that they've saved lives anyway so there beyond nice yeah, that's kind of lame. I know what you mean. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's way more than that. So good. Yeah. And that's exactly right. We're here to smile and have a good time. So next topic, like, we got so much stuff. <laughs> like, uh, All right. I, I thought that the parts that we had discussed about insecurity and the pandemic sort of dovetailed nicely with, with your thoughts on avoiding stupidity. And that might be a nice thing to explore for sure. a couple minutes, if you're willing. Well, of course. Of course I'm willing. Why wouldn't I be? <laughs> So yeah, how not to be stupid. And so uh, Munger once said, it's amazing how much mileage Warren and I have gotten over the years, but just not by being smart, but just not being stupid. And by the way, that's a profoundly, anything Munger and Warren say, you've got to really dive deep. It's not on the, the surface, right? So when, when, when Buffett says rule number one in investing, never lose money, really, you could write books on that, just on that mm -hmm. one thought right there, right? And which brings me to, I think, possibly my favorite quote of all time. It's Munger's. He said, take a simple idea and take it seriously. That's really, that's all you have to do. A simple idea, right? Which goes back to the hammer concept, right? You just take an idea whether you're an entrepreneur or you're getting married, whatever, simple idea. Just take it seriously. And um, so how not to be stupid? So what I did is I, I spent a lot of time in researching the idea. I was giving a talk a few years ago on, um, I was invited to give a talk at this elite investor group down in the Bahamas by a friend of mine who was organizing it, like a lot of name people and stuff there. And so they said, Adam, you talk about anything, but not investing. They want to hear, just pick a topic. So I blurted out, how about how not to be stupid? I just, and he laughed. He said, oh, yeah, that sounds like a lot. Do that. They would love that. Yeah. Having thrown it out, I then had to do some serious research, right? Like, what does it mean to be stupid? And I define stupidity as overlooking or dismissing conspicuously crucial information. Right? 
So overlooking or dismissing conspicuously crucial information. So by the way, it took me mm, the better part of a month of really hard thinking to come up with that definition because I knew it wasn't the opposite of intelligence, right? Then how not to be stupid? Be smart. Okay, case closed. Okay. Can I can I ask you real quick? I don't mean to interrupt you, but what is really yes, you hard do mean thinking? To well, I do. You're right. I do. What is what does really hard thinking mean to you? Like, what does that look like for you? Okay, so that's such a good. So, in the same way that you can see an Olympic powerlifter, like you see, you know, like ah, right, or you you see it in any sport, athletic pursuit right? You, you see the energy that goes into that. You can put that energy into thinking, right? Hmm. Another one of my favorite quotes was by the um, physicist Niels Bohr, right? One of the great titans of the last century, easily Einstein's peer. And Bohr was chastising a younger colleague. And he said, no, no, you're not thinking. You're just being logical. <laughs> like, whoa, <laughs> Oh man, <laughs> hard thinking is hard to say. It's a full frontal assault. Like when you begin, to, you have to analyze everything, especially around definitions. And, and it transcends logical thought. I've spoken about this elsewhere. Key insights, truth, whether it's insight about a relationship or an insight about the world, on a personal level or even on a like a just a on a scientific discovery level on any kind of level always is comes about not logically it, it pops into our head and then afterwards we can figure out the, the logic of it but it didn't arrive logically and so a lot of it and I, i've spoken about this other times that everyone can think about training we think about training our body, right, uh, about anything. Or we can think about training our mind, but also you can train your unconscious, right? You can really learn to use that. So hard thinking, boy, there's, it's not like a definition of it, but you'll, you'll recognize that it's, and, and a lot of it, by the way, is just waiting for something to become clear, right? So you, you attack things logically as much as you can. And then all of a sudden, boom, you get an insight. And you go, oh, and, but it doesn't seem to come by logical process. You know, a lot, a lot of it is just gifts from heaven, from, from God or the universe, however, in someone's cosmology, they want to put it. So anyway, back to hard thinking, you know, and I came up with that definition. So overlooking or dismissing conspicuously crucial information. So this is the key insight. In other words, it's crucial information, so you gotta pay attention to it. And it's conspicuous, so it's like literally in front of your nose. And either you look at it and go, whatever, or you don't notice it. And when certain conditions are in play, you're literally blind, but you don't realize that you're blind. You're literally, literally blind. And I isolated seven factors. And these are the seven factors in no particular order. Information overload, a feeling of urgency, rushing, right? That doesn't have to be urgency in a bad way. It could be like, oh, I can't wait, I'm going to a party, right? 
but if a feeling of urgency is another. Being outside your normal environment is another. Being in the presence of a large group, that's another. Being in the presence of an authority, or if you yourself are the authority, you're in big trouble because you're smart about that, but you're, you're blind actually about a lot of things around you. Any activity that requires an intense amount of focus. And there's one more. Oh, physical or emotional compromise. Hmm. You don't need all seven factors that'll put you in the stupid zone. And this is the thing. Once you're in the stupid zone, you won't be aware of it. You'll just do stupid things. And it won't be clear till later. And then afterwards, how many times have we ever, we look back at something, how do we, what were we thinking? Well, we were in the stupid zone then, but now we're not. Which is why when we see other people do things, they're in the stupid zone, but we're not. So we look at them and go, I would never do anything like that. Never. But yes, you would. If you were in the stupid zone, the key thing is when you realize these factors and how, when I say blind, I'll give you an example. There was a, um, forgetting the flight number, it's about a dozen years ago from Buenos Aires to Paris, night flight, overnight flight. The plane went down and hundreds of lives were lost. And the pilots, there were three pilots in the cockpit. And this is the thing. So when they recovered the black box, they, you know, they had the, the recordings, they could like hear everything. And a stall alarm was going off. So it was an Airbus 330. The Airbus 330, even though it's a European manufacturer, the stall alarm is in English, which is sort of the, you know, universal mm -hmm. language by default, kind of. So the, the stall alarm literally, I'm saying this for a reason is stall, stall. Like, now, by the way, when you hear a stall alarm in a plane, means you're gonna die, you're gonna die. Like, take action, because you're going down. Three pilots were in the cockpit, three experienced pilots. Not one of them mentioned the stall alarm. Say, how is that possible? That not one of them realized that the stall alarm was going off. Now, if you and I heard a fire alarm, like if a fire alarm went off in your apartment right now, I'd say, hey, you might want to look behind you. There's a fire alarm going off. But you yourself would hear it, right? Not if you were in the stupid zone. And the thing is, when you look at those factors, those seven factors, they're ubiquitous in modern life. They're really present in uh, emergency situations by definition, right? Because you're outside your normal environment. It's an emergency. There's a sense of urgency for sure. There are always authorities, right? Big problem. Usually emergencies involve a group of people or a nation, right? Stress, physical, emotional stress, like all the factors are in play. It's super important to recognize that when those when you're likely to be stupid, sorry, when you're likely to be in the stupid zone, not to make any decisions. So if we look at the typical warning label on a, on a medicine bottle, right? 
It says, warning, this medication may impair your cognitive or physical functioning. If affected, do not drive or operate heavy machinery. Well, yeah, but why limit yourself to that? Don't go hang gliding. Don't do any cutting with a sharp knife. Now's not the time to be fixing the roof. Now's not the time to post to Instagram. Now's not the time to tell your boss off, right? Now's not the time to ask someone to get married, not in this state. But there are a whole list of things you shouldn't be doing, not just drive automobiles and operate heavy machinery, as if that, those are the only two ways you can fuck up your life, right? You can do a lot. As Buffett once said, it takes 20 years to build a reputation five minutes to ruin it. If you think about that, you'll do things differently. <laughs> Life is so really just a, only takes a split second wrong decision. You've really messed things up. Anyway, so to recognize that when you're in the stupid zone, you're going to be stupid doing stupid things. And the thing is, you won't realize that you're in the stupid zone. You got So you have to anticipate it. One way to do that is to have people around you that you really trust and say, Adam, uh, you're a buddy, you're in the stupid zone right now. Uh, time off. Don't sign any contracts. <laughs> Don't do anything that you're going to, that's kind of irrevocable. A big thing, it was uh, Thomas Jefferson who famously said, when angry, count to 10. When very angry, count to 100. But even if you're not, you know, the ability to count to 10 before you do things, just to pause and to before taking an action, you know, and you can be sure that a, a surgeon before they're taking that final, you know, brain surgeon, oh, oh, wait, let me pause, make sure the scalpel is not at the wrong, you know, I don't want to cut that artery. Whoa, close call. So the ability to pause, to recognize that you might be in the stupid zone. And if so, take no action. I would say that the biggest ones are being outside your normal environment. So like you're traveling, right? Or even just, you know, unusual business conditions. Something that throws you a little bit out of your routines. And because that puts a massive cognitive overload. You add that and say a little physical or emotional stress, and then add on top of that, like to throw the match into the thing, a sense of urgency. Like, oh, got to do this now. That's the biggest catalyst, a sense of urgency. And so basically, so we've all been living in the stupid zone through COVID, and then yeah, the absolutely. sense of urgency is the catalyst to really being stupid or something We're like really, that, right? So really what... You know, at the very beginning, you know, and then we keep going, oh, my God, do something, do something, do something. So the politicians are going, oh, my God, OK, we're going to do something. We're going to show we mean business. But wait, wait, pause. That's, you know, that's the Hippocratic oath. First, do no harm. Like, well, <laughs> before we impose these things, let's be sure about the risks, the benefits. But yes, we've all been in the stupid zone and you need to be able to step outside. It, it's hard when we're all in the stupid zone. I think the first thing is just 
take no action. If you think about it, the Hippocratic Oath, first, do no harm, which gets back to don't lose, don't, whoa. Even that makes you pause, right? And I think that's really important, training yourself to pause for taking an action. In uh, chess, it's amazing that you'll find world champions, world champions, mind you, making blunders that ranked beginners wouldn't make. You go, how the hell did they do that? He's the champion of the hmm. world. How could they have missed that? It's so obvious because they were in the stupid zone, right? Because <laughs> in chess, you, there are so many variables, so many things to, to think about. You get fixated on something and then you, you can forget something else and you make a blunder really that a, a rank beginner would never make, really. And so the, the Russians had a lot of psychologists around this. It's in the 40s and 50s when they were winning everything in sight before Fisher took it away from them, is they developed the following technique, which I, I think is a good one, is before you make a move, before you make a move, because once you, once you make the move, you can't take it back. In fact, once you touch a piece, you can't, you've got to move that piece. So think about the move you're going to make, do all the analysis, and then before you make the move, write the move down on your score sheet, and then look at the, look at the position one last time. Like that's a, it was a built-in pause. And it's amazing how many times when you do that, you go, whoa, oh, no, 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 not doing that. So that ability to pause. And again, it's count to 10 and, or count to 100, maybe even longer than that. You know what? I'm going to have to sleep on this. And beware of anyone that forces you to make a decision quickly, right? Come on, come on. Just uh, you're in the stupid, they're, they're putting you in the stupid zone, right? And you know what? Get back to you on this tomorrow. I just got off a long flight. I'm outside my normal environment and I'm tired and not, nah, eh, I can wait till tomorrow. And if I can't wait till tomorrow, it's a no. <laughs> but yeah, to train yourself to do that. It's, it's really, I say train in the same way that we mentioned Bruce Lee. One of the most important abilities is to master is the ability to remain calm. That's not something you can summon on demand. Like, okay, I'll be calm. Whenever I have to be, I'll be calm. No, no, no. You have to train yourself. It's so hard. So yeah, so stupidity is to recognize when one or more of those factors are in play. I mean, it's actually a very deep topic and I could go into it, but, but that's the key thing is to recognize that, that someone in the stupid zone will do stupid things. And I, you know, I, I, I forget not forget, I, I, I can't remember whether I finished the thought on that, that flight, but three pilots, the stall arm was going, stall, 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 and the plane went down. Not one of the pilots said, hey, Charlie, we're going down. Like, they knew something was off, but they didn't know they were actually crashing. Even though the alarm was as clear as day, stall, they, not one of them, three pilots, three experienced pilots, mentioned it. 
You know? That is, I mean, it's got to be some sort of combination of groupthink and deferring well, to some I, authority, right? Well, you're very insightful. It's part of that, but it's it doesn't so much matter. It's just that when those factors are present, hmm. you're going to be blind. The greatest air disaster in a greatest, the most tragic ever was in Tenerife, some islands off the coast of Spain, and 576 people died on the ground. Two planes collided on the ground. <laughs> Wait, it gets better than that. Daylight. Exactly. How does that happen? Exactly right. Because the pilot of one of the planes was in the stupid zone. And yeah, all the factors are present. I wrote about that in the book. And the key thing is this, because when you hear about that, you'd say, how is that possible? Or I would never do something like that. Surely I would have heard, but no. The real takeaway is in certain situations, uh, when the conditions are present, and these, by the way, are pretty easy conditions to get to, to mon in modern life, right? Information overload, intense focus on something where everyone's always in a sense of like, oh, I got to do this right now. You're already in the stupid zone and you're going to be doing stupid things. It's really, there's so many built-in redundancies that we don't, that save us. We don't, we don't realize, but they've saved us. So don't worry so much about the why, just recognize that when those conditions are present, you know, it's, again, two planes collided on the ground in the daytime, nearly 600 lives were lost. How the heck? Like you can see a, a, like in traffic, like two, two cars dinging each other, but two planes colliding, that takes a lot of effort <laughs> in the daytime on the ground. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, but that's, that's how powerful these factors are once you're in the stupid zone you just and and again they affect us all right it's just most of the time we're not flying planes we don't we don't have to deal with that or even you know taxiing planes most of the time the decisions we make there's not a lot on riding on any one of them it's not often we we get into those but an investment decision for example like you know got to be really careful because around investing, same thing. You're dealing with a lot of information overload, which is why it's really important that you have a process. So you could be in the stupid zone, but the process is going to save you. Like, okay, I've worked out all the parameters here because I know once it starts going, if it's going against me, my emotions are going to kick in. I'm going to be looking for confirmation bias. Navy SEALs know you don't ever enter a territory until you know how you're going to get out of it. <laughs> like they've, you've already got a, an exit plan and that should be true with any investment. You know how you're going to exit it. Even if it's exiting at a loss, like, okay, got to know that. So yeah, this is stupidity. I like that. I just, I appreciate you so much sharing your thoughts. You're one of the people that I've, I've wanted to talk to. I mean, I think I said it earlier for so long because the way that you frame how you think has really actually changed my life. And it may sound silly to hear on your end, but I hear no, a lot. Of, very nice. Thank you. 
Yeah, I mean, I hear you a lot in my head in different ways. And one of the things that I've wondered is whether or not your experience as a boy, for people that don't know, you you were stuck in a hospital bed for a long time, what, two years, right? Or a year and a half? Do you think think that that enabled you to develop like super normal brain power in a way, because I was listening to, you know, I don't know. I just, it, it, uh, Tim Ferriss and Josh Waitzkin were talking about how their superpowers and sort of the negative things in your life are very closely almost interconnected. Right. And, and it, it's a thought that I've had as I've listened to you, whether or not that experience in your life trained you to escape to your head in a way that a lot of us don't. Yeah. Have. Well, so again, yeah. So I was in a hospital bed for two and a half years between four and six and a half. It was Blythdale Children's Hospital, which was started by Eleanor Roosevelt because her husband had polio. So all the kids in the hospital had long-term illnesses like me. But I was one of the few like stuck in a bed. Like a lot of them, they, I couldn't even be in a wheelchair. I had to be in a bed. In, do you remember um, Forrest Gump? Remember the beginning yeah. he had those yeah. braces on? I had those braces mm-hmm. on, but I was in bed. I couldn't walk. I was in bed. I had to wear those braces. Anyway. So I just looked out at the world because that's all I could do. I could just look at it, think about it. And, you know, with Josh and Tim, it's true. A lot of superpowers come from dealing with the situation, right? And, you know, I talked about this actually. I don't know that I've actually fully ever fleshed it out, but the superstars in any domain, We're never the most talented. It can't be. There's some defect that they had that forced them. Like, who has better fighting ability? The Hulk. I'm going to go back to Hulk. Or Bruce Lee. Well, I'll tell you, Bruce Lee does. Because the Hulk doesn't need fighting ability. Destroy. There was a great film, um, shoot, uh, it's called... in. In search of greatness or search of excellence, but it deconstructed uh, Gretzky, Rice. I'm trying to think of the other two: Michael Jordan, a couple other people, and all of them. Their abilities were were dealing with things that were actual weaknesses. So, for example, Wayne Gretzky. Few people have ever dominated a sport the way he did, right? And in the Oilers. Now, Gretzky was, I don't know, 6'1", 6'2", still a pretty strong guy to make it to the, the big leagues, uh, was the weakest guy on the team. And he, he knew, starting off, there's no way I'm going to survive. Like, I can't, I, my career, I, I'd be crushed. Like, a few, like, it's just too brutal. So he developed a style of play that involved avoiding contact with the others, <laughs> like, Going behind the goal, the goalies. So his dealing with that, in other words, dealing with like, I can't deal with the brutality of it, forced him to develop a skating style that was, it was the best, certainly one of the top two or three ever. Who was it? Remember the, this is before your time, but there was a guy, Dick Fosbury, who invented the Fosbury flop. And so the way high jumpers go over the bar now they used not to do that. They used to go over it belly first. They'd go over, but Fosbury couldn't do that. He couldn't master it. 
So one day he decided, I'm just going to go over on my back and then set a world record because he couldn't do it the right, he couldn't do it the right way. Your superpower, interestingly, can evolve out of a weakness, right? Or overcoming a weakness. And I couldn't interact with the world, but I could think about it. Okay, so that's, that's what I'm going to do. So Josh and, and Tim, you talk about that. A lot of times it comes from overcoming a weakness or the weakness itself reveals like, oh, I got to develop something, a workaround. And the workaround winds up like becoming your superpower. No one else can. I'm thinking <laughs> Muggsy Bogues, right? Who was 5'1 in the NBA. And you'd think a lack of height would be a, a problem. But it wasn't because it was a problem for the big players. Because, <laughs> I, oh, my God, how am I going to deal with this guy? He's like going between our legs. So what most people would perceive like, oh, you're 5'1". There's no way you're going to make it in the NBA. Like the average height is whatever. Okay, I'm not going to play that game. They're going to play my game. Now, he also developed, he was the best free throw shooter because he knew, okay, if they, they're going to foul me. I better me get my free throws. Yeah, yeah. Right, they're going to foul me a lot because I'm 5'1". They're going to stumble over me. <laughs> so he was the best free throw shooter, right? Yeah, a lot of it comes out of, out of a, either overcoming a weakness or you develop a workaround that becomes actually your strength. Well, I'm glad that you developed it because I, I don't know. I, I, I had alluded to some of my personal, I guess, growing up, right? And I, I had it better than, than many, but I've had a fair amount to deal with. And some people have said, you know, like they think that I have higher, like I, a, a very high EQ, right would would probably be my superpower and i think that without what i dealt with it would have been impossible to develop and the other way that i learned to cope with some of that stuff was to talk about it like i i didn't know how to deal with a lot of the pain keeping it in and it turns out that i think what a lot of people like what i'm doing is i talk about some of the parts of life that other people are maybe not willing to talk about you know that are in the industry or it's uncomfortable or something like that and it's yeah. it's been an interesting hack so i i've always wondered that about you whether or not you thought that 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 moment in your life created some of the greatness that we get to enjoy now and i i just i appreciate you so sharing it because I mean it, man. I, I from the day that I heard the very first podcast that you did, I I like the way that you looked at the world, and I've consumed a lot of them, and I really appreciate you doing it. Well, and I and so you're doing the same, and it's all about connecting with others and passing on what we've learned, and and you still got lots of learning, you know, and I do too. Wow, I really in the last year. Even just in the last year, I look back and I go, wow, I was a ranked beginner last year. And I thought, wow, the final thought, one of the greatest directors of all time, uh, the Japanese director Kurosawa, at the age of something like 82 or 83, was accepting an Oscar from his two biggest fans, George Lucas and, and Steven Spielberg. Right? They were awestruck, right? This, uh. And so... He's accepting the award, but he said, uh, actually, through a translator, he said, I do not feel I've earned this award. He's one of the greatest directors of all time. He said, I don't, because I'm 
I'm just beginning to get the hang of my craft. Right? At 82, he's saying this. I'm just beginning to get the hang of it. And he said, but I'm going to accept this award as an inspiration to myself that one day I might, in fact, merit it. Because I'm just getting the hang of things. What a wonderful outlook on life. Yeah. and I, Right, it's to really, say that I, at that age. I mean, that's really, that's, that a, that's age, amazing. The, I hope I say that. You will. And so, yeah, you're still learning and sharing. And so am I, like me, I just, I learn all the time. And I go, oh, I was, you know, my birthday's coming up. In fact, it's on Sunday. And I use birthdays as a time of reflection. Like where I've been the last year. You know, like kind of what have, what what milestones? What what have I learned? What have I mistakes have I made? What, and then, you know, thinking about the next year going forward. It's always a process of learning and synthesizing, and just like Kurosawa, right? Just like you know, one day I'm going to get the hang of this. Life, it's you never. It's always never-ending journey. You're always learning, uh, even. Buff and a monger. Like they, they learn stuff that's all they do. And and you're quite right. It's not that they spend all their time pouring over 10Ks, but they are looking for ideas and new insights and stuff. They do spend all their time thinking and reading. Yeah, that has been, uh, I think, one of the differences between, I mean, there's a lot of, there's miles difference between me and them. But one of the differences is I, I consume via audio a lot. But I am always constantly trying to find ideas. And what, I guess what, I, what I'm saying to you in different ways is you have planted more ideas in my brain that I've heard it and I've it just like something has clicked. So I just can't, Good. you know, I mean, Thank I, I've, I've thanked you. I mean it. And I had you on the podcast and I'm, I'm just so thankful that you, you said yes and came on. And I hope fun. that I can add some. Yeah, well, I you know I hope that I delighted you a little bit. I, I wanted to have a conversation oh. that, that you would enjoy. And and I know that Always. I have one that I enjoyed. So thank you. No, really, I, and I thank you for the the candor and sharing that you did, and and for the work that you're doing. It's really important because the journey that you're on is one that that a lot of men and women go through different things. A lot of young men, especially, you know, because we're not used to talking about things, and we think, oh, well, we shouldn't. I shouldn't, that's a sign of weakness or I should, I shouldn't be feeling that. Right. And one of the great things I love about uh, Tim, she's utterly fearless. He goes, oh, no, I wrestle with this every day. And he's got another people to speak out. Really. I was on a podcast. I'm going to end on this note, I think, is uh, with a couple of vets. And I was talking about that and what vets have to do coming back, right? And, and it's really brutal. First, even going into the military and the, what has to go on to become a soldier is brutalizing. And of course, battle is even more so. And then and you have veterans dealing with incredible mental health issues. We all do, especially. They said, uh, by the way, one of my... My friend, Stevie Cohen, right? He's gave $250 million to mental health for veterans. And it's such a, a key issue. And I'm, the reason I'm saying that is they said as, as soldiers, we're not used to asking for help. Mm -hmm. And I said, 
I said, that's not true. In battle, you're always, it's your, your guys on your left and your right. That's what you're there for. And it's always together. And I said, when you're battling mental health issues, think of it like that. You know, you're in a battle. And in a battle, of course you ask for help. You're not, you're not alone. It's the whole point. So what you're doing and the honesty with which you shared your own story, including the candor, even just like, oh, I haven't been that great a dad, you know, which means you're a really great dad. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it has to be more sharing, which remember the Google experiment. Everyone thinks they're all like, oh, it's just me. No, no, it's not just you. It's it's so many. Like, no. And. And so really just the importance of sharing and and coming together and knowing that you everything that you're feeling, there's a group of, a lot of people are feeling exactly the same thing. And so we can come together on this and share and support each other and have fun, which is really what That's it's right. all about. Right? Have fun. That's right. So great. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for everything, the opportunity. I had a blast. Well, that's good. And I look forward to future conversations. Hopefully we have uh, nope, you know, no. kindled at least an associateship and maybe a friendship. We'll see how it goes. Boy, but uh, so far, sure. so good. So far, so, so for good. Sure. So for All sure. Right.